We read from Holy Scripture this evening from the Gospel according to Mark chapter 6. Mark chapter 6. And we will pick up our reading at verse 30. Mark 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while, for there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately, and the people saw them departing, and many knew him and ran afoot thither out of all cities, and out went with them, and came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, and was moved with compassion toward them, because they were as sheep not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place, and now the time is far past. Send them away, that they may go into the country round about, and into the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. He answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread, and give them to eat? He saith unto them, How many loaves have ye? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five, and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And when he had taken the five loaves and the two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed and broke the loaves and gave them to his disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all. And they did all eat and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. And they that did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 men. Now what follows is our text. And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship and to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida, while he went, while he sent away the people. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when even was come, the ship was in the midst of the sea, and he alone on the land. And he saw them toiling and rowing, for the wind was contrary unto them. And about the fourth watch of the night he cometh unto them, walking upon the sea, and would have passed by them. But when they saw him walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit, and cried out, for they all saw him, and were troubled. And immediately he talked with them, and saith unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. And now I want to read, finish reading there and go and read a small portion of Mark chapter 8 with you too. Turn to Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now just prior to this in Mark 8 is the record of the feeding of the 4,000. And then after that, the Pharisees, after that miracle, demanding of him a sign. Now verse 14. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, neither had they in the ship with them more than one loaf. And he charged them, saying, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, It is because we have no bread. And when Jesus knew it, he saith unto them, Why reason ye, because ye have no bread? Perceive ye not yet, neither understand. Have ye your heart yet hardened? Having eyes see ye not, and having ears hear ye not? And do ye not remember? When I broke the five loaves among five thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? They say unto him, Twelve. And when the seven among four thousand, how many baskets full of fragments took ye up? And they said, Seven. And he said unto them, How is it that ye do not 
understand. And we read that far in God's Word. And as I said, our text is found in Mark 6, verses 45 through 52, which records the miracle of Jesus walking on the water and his subsequent rebuke of the wind and the waves. That miracle recorded here in Mark is treated uniquely in this particular gospel. It is also treated uniquely, and by uniquely you will find in each gospel that records this something that adds to or is different from the other records. And so also, Jesus, by that, is showing that there's much He wants to teach with this one miracle, many aspects to His teaching. And they're all important so that He isolates them according to each of the Gospels so that we pay attention to each of these important elements. And so you have unique aspects. For example, if you look up Matthew chapter 14, which records this event, there the gospel adds the fact that Peter also walked on the water to Jesus, and then he falters, and Jesus helps him into the boat. And then later we read, they all confessed, truly thou art the Son of God. Then if you look up the same event in the record of John chapter 6, He adds the fact that they rode for four miles, four miles into the wind before Jesus appeared. And then we read in that gospel account that immediately when Jesus entered the boat, they were at the location, immediately, without explanation. And I say the Spirit is teaching something with each of these Gospels and those unique aspects to them. Now, the importance of the unique treatment of this account in the book of Mark is that he ties this particular miracle to a series of events over several chapters. In fact, if you really want to understand this, start reading in Mark around chapter 4. And you're going to start to connect the dots. That's what's going on in the Gospel according to Mark. And Mark tells us, specifically in verse 32, the reason for this miracle. Why is it that Jesus walks upon the water? Why is it that He calms the winds? The reason is they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Not only that, but Mark, in the passage also that we read, explicitly ties both the miracle of the feeding of 5,000 and this particular miracle to Jesus again feeding another 4,000. The point of these passages and Mark linking them together is that the Holy Spirit is teaching us there was a serious, serious problem. The disciples didn't see, didn't understand, were actually blind to the miracle of Jesus feeding the 5,000. In fact, Mark makes clear in Mark chapter 8 that we read that they are even going to be blind and their hearts still hardened after Jesus performs this miracle of walking upon the water and calming the winds. And that's evident when in Mark chapter 8, after feeding the 4,000, and the questions of the disciples, he ends, Why is your heart yet hardened? The idea being, after all this, after all these signs and wonders, why is your heart hardened? The disciples were guilty of a serious error. And a serious error, even though They confessed, as we read, that Jesus was the Son of God. 
even though they had twice participated in Jesus miraculously feeding the multitudes, first 5,000 and then 4,000, even though they had witnessed Jesus walking upon the water and they had seen Him and heard Him rebuke the wind and the waves, so they are silence, yet there is unbelief, there is fear. And if you connect the dots and read the passage passages of Mark, you will see that this leads to all sorts of errors. Fighting leads to pride, leads to confusion, leads to doubt, lack of understanding, temptation. Fitting text for us on the occasion of applicatory. Rightly, we may ask ourselves, even though we have also participated in the great miracle of Jesus feeding the multitude. This morning, are our hearts still hardened with regard to it? With the result that we are filled with anxiety and fears, especially when the winds of life and the troubles of life blow. Are we filled with such fear that even though Jesus walks by, we are filled with fear and doubt. With that in mind, we consider the teaching of the Holy Spirit and this miracle of Jesus calming the wind. Jesus calming the wind. We notice in the first place the amazing wonder, secondly, the troubling need, and lastly, the resulting peace. First, the amazing wonder. That is literally how the Holy Spirit characterizes this event. We read in verse 51, they were sore, amazed in themselves beyond measure, and they wondered. This was an amazing wonder. And those words are very significant. Sore amazed means that they were greatly displaced. They were, as we say, beside themselves. They had been dislodged from their foundations. They were unstable and ready to topple. And they wondered. That's the biblical word for a miracle. Miracles are called wonders. And here now, that word is applied to the disciples themselves. And the idea is that this miracle had caused them to reflect and think about what the Holy Spirit was teaching them. This was an amazing wonder concerning several elements related to water. The other gospel accounts emphasize the elements of water. They emphasize the great turmoil of the waves that cause their fears. That is where it is emphasized, especially the elements of Jesus walking upon the water. How effortlessly he covers a long distance walking on the water, and how he walks through the towering waves whipped up by the great winds. And that is done to distinguish not only the record found there from the record found here, but also to distinguish it from another similar miracle in Mark 4. Not coincidentally. You remember that miracle. Jesus had also taught the multitudes. Then he sent them away and entered into a ship. And they began to cross the lake in that ship. And as they crossed the lake, the wind and the waves come up. And the disciples are filled with fear. But Jesus is sleeping in the bottom of the boat. They wake Him. Master, do you not care that we perish? And Jesus simply rebukes the wind and the waves, tells the sea to be still, and it happens. And then He turns to them and asks, Why are you so fearful? Why are you so afraid? Why no faith? They still feared. They still feared. And they asked in their fear, what manner of man is this? What manner of man is this that even the wind and the waves obey Him? 
This is going to continue with the disciples. Jesus walking on the water. An amazing wonder. So amazing that even the world knows about it. And uses it as a euphemism for someone who so idolizes another person that they idolize him like God as someone who alone can walk upon water. The other Gospel accounts are also where we find Peter walking on the water, which is omitted here. You might recall Peter is unsure that it's Jesus. Like the other disciples, here we read, they thought he was some sort of ghost or spirit. Finally says, it's him. And if it's him, now bid me to come. Prove that it's you. And Jesus beckons him to leave the boat. And Peter does. He leaves the boat and he begins to walk upon the water until in fear he looks at the waves and immediately begins to sink. And Jesus has to reach down and pull him out of the waves and deposit him in the boat whereupon Jesus himself climbs into the boat and again rebukes them for their little faith. In this particular gospel account, the water and the waves are not emphasized at all, really. The main amazing element of this miracle that Mark emphasizes regards, rather, the wind. It's evident. Although he mentions the fact that Jesus walks upon the water, he omits the part about Jesus walking on the water, or even omits the fact that Jesus explicitly rebukes the water. He leaves that out. Instead, he notes the wind. In fact, twice notes the wind. He says the disciples toiled against the wind. And then he notes the fact that Jesus calms the wind without really even saying a word. He simply enters into the boat and the winds are calm. The emphasis the Spirit is saying is upon the wind. Why? Because that's really the greater miracle, and therein lies the real spiritual significance of this. You see, it's the wind that causes the waves and the waters. It's the wind that causes, therefore, their fears. It's the wind that prevents their progress. It's the wind that stirs up the waves that make them to fear that they could be killed, they could be drowned. Not only that, the wind, in contrast to the water, is invisible. Everyone knows the source of the great waves. It is the wind. But the wind seemingly is without a source, without a beginning, seems uncontrollable. And of course, it represents the sovereign control of Jesus as God's Christ with sovereign control over all of providence, over all the physical laws and all the physical powers of nature. That's what that represents. The amazing wonder of the miracle also, we should see, includes Jesus' meticulous planning and executing of this miracle exactly as we read it in the Gospel accounts and here. And the Spirit brings this to our attention when, in verse 52, we're told there is a reason that Jesus performs the miracle. That's the Spirit's way of saying, look at the miracle itself and consider that every aspect of this miracle, and we may add, the very record of the miracle as we find it here, is meticulously planned and laid out and controlled by our Lord Jesus Christ. That includes His constraining, that is, urging, moving His disciples to get into a ship and go to the other side to Bethsaida, that's at Jesus' urging. He was compelling them. He was driving them into that ship. We twice read that He sent away the multitude, not only because His work with them is done, but Jesus wants to be alone so that He can pray. Jesus is showing by that He now has different work to do, work that specifically concerns His disciples. We read also that He went off deliberately to a mountain to pray, which all by itself is significant. 
always a reminder to us that if this is true of our Lord Jesus Christ, that Jesus Himself must go off alone to pray. He who is the Son of God, He who is God's Christ, He who is King over heaven and earth, if He needs to pray, how much more us, sinners, simply human beings, with no control over anything. And Jesus has to pray. He goes off to a mountain to pray exactly because of the miracle that he is about to perform. A miracle that is going to require great strength, great power. It's going to require great faith, trust in God as the God of his salvation, and great grace because it's a wonder of grace. It's a miracle that he performs in his grace for his disciples to teach and instruct even as he's doing here this evening. And you should see being documented here is his utter control over that wind. The seemingly invisible, uncontrollable wind without source he controls to accomplish his purpose. We know from the Gospels that the disciples leave around sundown. And when they leave, the wind is calm. And they row a long ways, even four miles, until about midnight. And during that entire time, we read Jesus is praying from sundown until midnight. Then Jesus sends this strong wind that is contrary to them, blowing in the opposite direction that they want to go. And they row and they row and they row and they row until the fourth watch, about 3 a.m. And they go absolutely nowhere while the winds and the waves whip up. And Jesus is watching, we know, the entire time. He watches the proceedings. And then Jesus begins to walk upon the water. Walk across that water as if it's land all the way to the disciples to meet them. And there he calms the wind. The wind that had caused all this. Especially the amazing wonder, being a wonder of grace, is the spiritual significance of all this. And what is that? The spiritual significance is that it demonstrates the power of Jesus as the Son of God and as God's Christ over all the powers and all the laws of creation. We might say all the powers and laws of God's providence. And now, using them and ruling over them to affect the sovereign purpose of His Father, with regard to two things. To save those chosen by the Father and given to Him as His own, and to use that providence, His sovereignty over the powers of creation, even the wind and the waves, to punish and destroy the unbelieving and ungodly. That's the spiritual significance. That's what's being taught here. Seven when you consider the miracle itself, that it's not even a typical miracle compared to all the other miracles that Jesus performs. The other wonders. This is no mere demonstration that He is the Son of God. It's no mere demonstration that He's the Son of Man, as they will go on to confess. They say, what manner of man is this? Truly, this is the Son of God. But Mark shows that even then, even in the light of that confession, in spite of that confession, their hearts were yet hardened. There is something else here. Something else being taught. Something else they must see and reflect upon, but they miss. It's not even like many of the New Testament miracles. It's not a direct type or picture of the saving work of Jesus Christ over the sin of the individual. It's not like His opening the eyes of the blind, His cleansing of lepers, His casting out of devils, His healing the paralyzed, 
or even raising from the dead. It's more like many Old Testament miracles where there is a great salvation and deliverance of God's people through providence, through God's direct control of wind and waves, storm and sunshine. It's not even, we should see, typical of Jesus' saving work by the Holy Spirit. We should note that this evening. And we should note that because we know that the Holy Spirit is often pictured by the wind. In fact, the word for Holy Spirit and the word for wind are often the same. Where the Spirit is likened to the wind that men cannot see or control in John 3 verse 8. We read that the Spirit on Pentecost is poured out with a sound as of a mighty rushing wind. And we know that one of the works of the Holy Spirit is that He brings calm and peace. So we might suppose that that's what the spiritual significance is all about, but it's not. It's typical of Christ's power over the creation, over providence, and now especially His control and use of providence to accomplish the sovereign purposes of God with men in the world. God is the God who commands the stormy wind, according to Psalm 107, verse 25, which lifts up the waves, which we sung. But God also uses His providence over the wind to lift up the waves with two purposes, as I said. First of all, in the service of saving His covenant people to accomplish the salvation of His covenant people in the earth, as was the case with many Old Testament miracles. That's why we read about the fact that in the hands of angels on the four corners of the earth is the mighty winds of the earth. And why we read He gathers His elect with the four winds of the earth, not without not uncoincidentally, also in Mark 13. God uses His sovereignty through Christ over providence also in the service of destroying the ungodly as an agent of God's judgment. So we read, the ungodly are blown away like the chaff and the dust. Psalm 1 and Psalm 18. We read that the winds... Carry away the sinner to destruction, Isaiah 64, verse 6. And we read that the ungodly and unbelieving like the winds driving empty clouds and unruly waves. That's what they're like, James chapter 1. So this is typical of the saving work of Christ, but the saving work of Christ through providence. It's typical with regard to us especially of Christ's bringing us peace. Peace to our souls during the stormy winds of earthly life and bringing that by faith. You see, there's a wonderful truth being taught here by Jesus. And that is our souls are not only disturbed by sin. Sin, of course, disturbs the soul. It creates its own turmoil and stirring up of emotions, wind and waves in our heart. But also, our soul is stirred up and filled with turmoil by the fact that we know our sins deserve death. Now the result of that is, therefore, that when the winds blow, when there's earthly turmoils and troubles in nature and in providence, Literally, when winds blow, we know that that's also the work of God's judgment. We know that that's the work of God bringing to the sinner His curse. And that fear is its consequence. And that also for us. So then our own soul, we're disturbed and say to ourselves, look at these winds. Look at these waves. Look at this turmoil and trouble. Will I die? Will I be lost? Will I perish? 
And only Jesus can calm our souls. That's the amazing miracle and its spiritual significance. Now we consider the troubling need. You see, what Jesus is teaching is the great threat to His disciples. And the great threat to the disciples is not the waves that are about ready to swamp the boat, or as Mark emphasizes, even the winds that prevent them from getting to their destination. No. No, what's being taught here is the great need. The great thing that troubles the disciples is their unbelief. Their fearful unbelief in the middle of those winds. That has the emphasis, in fact, in all three Gospels. But interestingly and importantly, it is Mark that takes all of that and combines it into one. So that we read, when the disciples see Jesus Christ, they are troubled, even like the sea. The sea is a picture of their own troubled hearts. So that we read, they cry out in fear. The first words of Jesus that He speaks to them is, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. That's the emphasis. That's the threat. And that's a greater threat than the winds. The threat is that their fear or troubled hearts are not now even due to the winds. But what the Spirit is teaching is that their fear, their turmoil, their trouble is caused by something else. And that is their little faith. This is brought out elsewhere too. When we read that Peter sinks and Jesus reaches down his hand and rescues him, Jesus says, O thou of little faith, wherefore did you doubt? Matthew 14, verse 31. That indicates the root problem and the cause of their fear. Indicates the root problem for their troubled and doubtful hearts. And notice too, it's not that they lack faith, that they have no faith. They have faith. They have faith in that they understand and see and recognize it's Jesus. They confess that He is the Son of God, even the Son of Man. But they have little faith. And that's a serious problem. Now we might think to ourselves, not so serious a problem. At least they have faith. We know that if one has faith, even the small modicum of faith, any faith at all, that one is saved, that one is saved through that faith, that one is joined to our Lord Jesus Christ, and yet, little faith is a serious problem. Take a look at the passage and see the result of little faith. They do not recognize Jesus walking to them upon the sea in the middle of the waves. And then, when Jesus identifies Himself, we read that they still feared. It's what prevents them from seeing Jesus as the Jesus who saves them. Instead, they think He's a ghost, a specter, come to destroy them, to harm them. They're hurting them. It causes them to toil all night rowing without any headway. Now you might not think that has anything to do with their faith, but it has everything to do with their little faith. When the winds whip up and are contrary to them, then they do not think on Jesus. They do not even think of Jesus as the Son of God. You do not find them in their boat praying to Jesus. Not even thinking, well, Jesus will come here and rescue us. Jesus will come here and bring us to our destination. No. They row and they row and they row and they row and they row. And it never occurs to them to do anything else. Being of little faith, all they are doing is trusting in their own muscles, their own know-how, their own navigation skills, trusting in their boat and whatever else, but not Jesus. And what Mark shows is the other effects of this little faith. And this is why I urge you sometime to read through these chapters of Mark. Mark shows their little faith prevented them 
from understanding a simple parable of Jesus in Mark chapter 7. The fact that they have little faith is going to explain why Jesus repeats the miracle. Why he not only finds they do not understand the miracle of the 5,000, but he has to repeat the miracle and they still don't understand. They still have hardened hearts, little faith, filled with fear, lack of understanding. You can read through the book of Mark and you will find out that their little faith explains why they're unable to cast out certain devils. It's what explains why they will quarrel over who will be greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Little faith explains why Peter, why Peter himself is going to become an agent of Satan, trying to prevent Jesus from going the way of the cross and their salvation. Each time, there is a rebuke for little faith. The significance of the Gospel according to Mark is that it also identifies the precise matter about which they have little faith. They don't have simply little faith in general. Well, they have faith. They're going to demonstrate that faith. There is an amazing quality to that faith. That they confess what other men do not. They see what other men do not. Oh, they have faith. But they have little faith also. And little faith with regard to one specific thing. And that is Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. That's what we're told. For they considered not the miracle of the loaves. This is what Mark is going to repeat in Mark chapter 8. Jesus is going to ask them that question. How many fragments did you take up after this miracle? And what about that miracle? Why do you not still understand? That's the issue. Specifically now, but they failed to consider so that they were assured in their heart and would have calm is the spiritual significance of Jesus feeding the 5,000. And if you ask what that is, the answer is not that Jesus is a great miracle worker, the Son of God and the Son of Man, even the Christ, who is able to take earthly bread and feed large multitudes. Oh, that they saw. Oh, that they saw along with the 5,000 and 4,000 that Jesus fed. They all saw it. It was undeniable. And they were all amazed. They all wondered. In fact, so much did they see that and understand that. They tried, we read, to make Jesus king. They wanted him and they saw the significance being Jesus can rule over the Romans. With Jesus as our king, we can conquer the world by sword. We will never run out of bread. And that was not the teaching of the miracle. What was the teaching? The significance, the teaching, is essentially the very same thing that's found in the eating of the bread and drinking of the wine of the Lord's Supper. Same thing. And if you say, what is that? What's the teaching there? I would point you to the sermon this morning. It's the knowledge, the understanding, and the trust that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. That's what they ignored. It's with regard to that that they had little faith so that Jesus even calls it unbelief and a hard heart. That's the specific thing. They did not understand the great significance of Jesus as the Son of God who gives His body to be broken upon the cross and His blood to be shed for the sins of the multitude, for the sins of His people, for the sins of those who believe in Him by faith. They were blind to the fact that Jesus was teaching that He alone is our nourishment, that He alone is our way, the truth, and the life. That He is our strength. They had little faith about that. That's significant. That's the teaching of the miracle of the loaves. 
the 5,000 as well as the 4,000. That's the real teaching of Jesus here. And that's the teaching of the Lord's Supper. So, let's ask ourselves this evening. Do you find that your life is going easy? Hardly any toil. Find yourself on calm seas, rowing through the boat, making progress, and suddenly, unexplicably, the winds blow. The winds of God's providence are contrary to your intentions, your goals, and where you're going. Define the winds of God preventing earthly physical progress in your work, at your school, or in your home? Do you find contrary winds in your relationships with others, with your spouse, with your children, with other members? Do you see turmoil, waves and winds with regard to your gifts and abilities concerning success, concerning health? And even more importantly, winds contrary to your spiritual progress. Your progress trusting in God. Progress in holiness. Progress against the spiritual winds of besetting sins and idolatrous addictions. Against the winds of greed and covetousness, attitudes towards other, rebellion, jealousy, anger. Do you find that? You will. Every one of us will. If not now, then soon. We will encounter such winds. Maybe you're encountering them right now. And do you find then something inside you that says as a solution to these winds, what I need to do is row harder. And then you find it doesn't work. Do you find that if you imagine you find yourself imagining that if only you work harder, try harder, sweat more, think more. When the tough gets going, the going gets tough. Even with regard to holiness, I have this or that weakness. If only I try hard to stop drinking. If only I stop being angry and bitter. If only I don't think these thoughts. And you find that doesn't work. Do you find that amidst those winds and lack of progress, even more importantly, your heart is troubled so that you're filled with anxiety and doubt? You want to go to the doctor and get pills and prescriptions. And do you find that even after you get done eating the Lord's Supper and sitting at His table? Oh, you may not fear the wind and the waves as such, but you don't even recognize Jesus coming and the wind the waves to you. All you see is ghosts and specters and apparitions that are going to harm you and hurt you. You don't even see Jesus walking on the water in the midst of the winds. You imagine you're out on the seas of life all alone. Everything is against you. There's no help in sight when in fact Jesus is watching, watching from the shore or watching as He Himself walks through the wind and the waves with you. Or when you do recognize Him, when you finally see Him, are even able to cry out, that's Jesus, the Son of God, my Savior. Do you imagine He's coming instead to harm you? That Jesus is calling out and reaching to you. That He's walking across the wind and the waves, but He's against you. He's part of the wind and the waves that are threatening to drown you and to hurt you. If that is so, beloved, our text tells us the precise problem. The exact problem. Tells us the exact problem so clearly and so sharply, it is impossible to miss. And if we miss it, if we miss it, the Lord is going to have to do this again and again, as He did with His disciples. 
The problem is that you and I have hardened our heart. Oh, we may still believe Jesus is the Son of God. We still may believe He is the Son of Man. In fact, that's actually what contributes to the problem. You know and believe He is sovereign over the wind. He is sovereign over the waves. He's sovereign over all these things that seem to be against me. He's sovereign over sin and salvation, over my life and my death. But not conclude He is for me, but rather He's against me. In fact, I don't even know if He's out there. Our text also then tells us the precise solution. Have faith in Jesus, who is the one who feeds the multitudes. That's where Jesus pointed His disciples. Go back, ye blind Go back, ye of little faith, and consider the feeding of the 5,000. His solution to us is go back to the Lord's Supper this morning. Jesus is teaching us you have forgotten something. Oh, you may have participated. Oh, you may have eaten the bread and you have drunk the wine, even as the disciples were participants in the feeding of the 5,000. You've forgotten something about your confession that Jesus is the Son of God or the Son of Man. You've even forgotten something in your recognizing that He works great, great miracles. And what you've forgotten is that Jesus has the power to forgive sins. What you have little faith about and what you've hardened your heart about is that He has forgiven your sins. And that by His resurrection, He feeds your bodies and souls. He strengthens you and brings you to eternal life. That's the little faith. That's the threat. That's the necessity for the miracle. Now finally, the resulting peace. Jesus brings peace to His disciples. And He does that miraculously by calming the winds. How does Jesus do that? He speaks to the winds. He reminds them who He is. He reminds the disciples who He is. He reminds the disciples that He is their friend. He enters into the ship where they are there fearful, where the winds blow, where the waves threaten, and immediately the wind ceases. And as John tells us, they find they've arrived. That's why Mark even omits the rebuke. He wants us to see that Jesus' own presence, Jesus' own presence is what calms the winds. And then not only the winds out there, but the winds in the soul. You see, the lesson is not to us that Jesus may take the winds away. But Jesus will calm the winds of our soul. He will calm the trouble and the turmoil, the anxiety and the depression that we find exactly because we have little faith. How does Jesus do that? Same way He did it to the disciples. They eventually considered after this miracle, after the next one, after several more rebukes, they finally go back to the feeding of the 5,000, and they consider it, and they realized what Jesus was really teaching. And that's the case for us, beloved. If your your soul is in turmoil, if you are filled with anxiety and doubt, oh, you may blame it on a lot of things. In fact, do not doubt for a minute that Satan himself will even use it to point out your sins. That even when the turmoil and the anxiety is with regard to earthly physical life, you lose your job, the stock market crashes, that the fear and anxiety you feel as a child of God isn't simply about earthly physical things, but God is against me. And the real source of it all is you've forgotten the feeding of Jesus 
the feeding of us by Jesus every four times a year. He performs this miracle. He feeds us. He feeds the multitudes. And He feeds us with Himself. And He teaches us, your sins are forgiven. And then we near Him to say, and why then in the world are you so filled with fear? Why is your soul in turmoil? Why are you troubled? Why do you doubt me? Why do you not see me? Answer, because I don't really trust and believe He's forgiven my sins. And that's the application of this applicatory service. To reflect now, in the coming time, between the next time we have to do this, our little faith. And what that little faith really is in regard to. And how it is the source of the turmoil and trouble in our life. And the solution, the solution, no matter the winds, no matter what's going on, is I believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus has fed me with His broken body and His shed blood this morning. And that is a sign and seal. The sacrament is that that has washed away all my sins. And therefore, I have no reason at all to fear anything. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, we thank Thee for Thy word of truth, for this application of the great miracle of our Lord calming the winds to our own partaking of the bread and wine this morning. Lord, take away our fear and our unbelief. Take away that doubt and that fear by bringing to us the truth, the spiritual truth brought to us, signified and sealed by the supper itself, that our Lord Jesus has the power to forgive sins and He has forgiven my sins. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.